Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. After forging a bromance through similar hockey backgrounds, Justin Rothlingshoffer and Devin McConnell realized that the natural next step in their friendship would be to write a book together. Intent, a practical approach to applied sports science for athletic development, was their brainchild. After working with countless athletes and honing their coaching methodologies both on and off ice, the two were able to collaborate on some of their most successful strategies for preparing players. At the center of their unique philosophy is adhering to the needs and goals of that individual position player, while having the finesse to simultaneously create a cohesive army that fucking wins games. Lot of hockey talk coming at you this Friday, and yes, that was my best Boston accent. I am very sorry for that. This is episode 253. What is up? This is Luke. I'm sitting here with John. What's happening? And Tex. Howdy. And we are getting into another episode of the premier podcast. In strength and conditioning. Ing, ing. I was pretty tempted to go into the premier podcast flat Earth. space exploration, <laughs> Sean. Sean. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking training athletes, not just any athletes today, but I have a feeling the discussion is going to be around hockey players. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you my experience with two of my best friends who are hockey players growing up. Terrible athletes. Pretty good hockey players, though. So my limited anecdotal Hypothesis is that all hockey players are terrible overall athletes. Uh, I disagree. The okay. one the one hockey player that I'm related to, my uncle Bill, played uh, professionally in Canada and played for the Canadian Olympic team. And even at late '70s, early '80s, we went and we played racquetball. Mm-hmm. I think it like and he fucking killed me. Okay, so you have one story. I have two. Uh, he so is, I think I rest I, my case. Dude, he's still uh, he's still an incredible athlete, man. And he still plays. Like, they finally, I think, won't let him play in an old man's hockey group anymore because I think he's 80 now. But he's still super fit and still goes out and skates. They just won't let him strap it up anymore. Well, here's the deal. What do I know? I'm ready to learn. We have Devin McConnell, the head of hockey performance at the University of Massachusetts in Lowell, and his pal, Justin Rothlingshoffer. Yeah? Nailed it. Nailed it. He's a strength and performance coach for the San Diego Goals, who's uh, American Hockey League. So, boys, we thought we'd have you on. We uh, text came across your stuff. When? Josh through Train Heroic. Ah, through Train Heroic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so he connected, uh, Justin and I, and then I was able to uh, read through y'all's book, Intent, which is available online, and many book retailers. Correct me if I'm wrong. And um, I I got no experience with hockey. Mm -hmm. There was no ice. In Katy, Texas, growing up, so mm-hmm. I didn't have the opportunity, right? Genetics, geography, opportunity. I didn't have geography or opportunity, but I had the genetics for hockey. It just never got my shot. You do. Yeah, I ice skated that one time. But uh, You've got yeah. the hair for it anyway. Ooh. <laughs> oh, the, the bounce, the yeah. flow. He does get some the lettuce. awful hair. All right, so it, it, I, NHL hockey playoffs are coming up, so mm-hmm. timing would be appropriate for us to kind of dive into some preparation as we get to see kind of the best of the best face each other. So I guess, guys, let's start with this. Why don't we just pass the mic over to y'all. Talk about your experience, how, how you got to where you're at today, what you're doing. Uh, Devin, I don't know, just alphabetically, you're up first. So go ahead and, and kick it off, man. Tell us more about yeah, yourself. Yeah, thanks a lot. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Uh, so my background, uh, you know, I was a hockey player growing up. I grew up in, uh, in Seattle, Washington, played most of my, you know, my youth, uh, growing up in, in, in Canada, playing in Canada and, and played, uh, 
made my way to college hockey out in the West Coast in Massachusetts, not not far away from where I am now. Um, so my my background is in hockey uh, as an athlete. Uh, I can uh, attest to the fact that we are fantastic athletes across the board, except <laughs> maybe maybe in basketball. I don't know about a hockey player that can shoot a basketball. That's the only exception. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my background as, as an athlete. Grew up, uh, went to school, ended up just uh, dumb luck. Ended up at a school. Uh, with with exercise science, which is what I got my, my kind of academic degree in, uh, only because it was the sort of best place for me to go and, and have an opportunity to play as a goaltender. Um, but that sort of sparked a, a passion in me. And I, I realized pretty quickly on that um, what I wanted to do professionally was be a strength and conditioning coach. So I started going down that road. Um, my first experience, my first sort of uh, uh, work in the profession was at, at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning out here in the Boston area. So a lot of people know Mike's name. Worked for him for a couple of years and then uh, decided to, to uproot and switch coasts and went to, to California to work at Stanford University, where I was uh, for several years. And, and then opportunity came around to come back out to uh, New England, to the East Coast. Uh, the hockey job opened up here at UMass Lowell. And uh, I've been here for the last uh, seven plus years. Nice, man. So, Justin, what's up, man? Um, so, yeah, so... My road uh, kind of started similar to Devin. I'm born and raised in Canada, in Edmonton, actually, um, pretty much Alaska. And uh, I um, played all my junior hockey uh, through Canada and uh, came down to the States uh, and played in college. And then um, had a little opportunity after, kind of realized, hey, I'm not going to make it to the NHL. So decided to take the responsible route and go get a job. And uh, I uh, started working at the Columbus Blue Jackets um, as an intern and then uh, went from there to uh, the University of Louisville and did uh, sport performance with uh, basketball team there. And uh, I can attest to what Devin said. I mean, we're terrible basketball players, um, <laughs> but uh, it was it was great uh, from a learning ex- uh, learning experience. And uh, from there, I went to uh, the University of Miami of Ohio in uh uh, Oxford, um, which is just north of Cincinnati, and it was fantastic. Uh, was there for uh, three and a half years, um, and then about uh, I don't know what is this now, ten months ago, got hired by the Anaheim Ducks, and have been here in uh, San Diego, um, running their program top down and uh, doing the um, uh, data management for uh, uh, fatigue and. Uh, player monitoring uh, for Anaheim. Nice, man. Well, I think, you know, one of the hockey is one of those things, one of the sports where there is a huge youth development league, right? And it just, it's a, a sport that kids specialize in early. Yeah. And also with that, when you, you don't go right to college to play at 18, right? Don't you play in some, some kind right. of. Usually uh, you play in uh, hockey has what's called junior hockey, which is more or less a bridge between high school. There's not a lot of, most of Canada, most of the U.S. doesn't have high school hockey. At least it's not it's not competitive. So it's a it's a bridge between sort of youth, you know, the upper le- upper youth levels and and college or or professionally. Um, some players will jump straight through, but junior hockey is kind of the middle ground. All right. So how does how does that fuck up though development and then um, where am I going? This how does that fuck up essentially kind of player development? So we, I don't know, recruiting is a whole different process when it comes to football, basketball, lacrosse, uh, you know. Well, dude, sports. I mean, but, but like, look how fucked up baseball is. 
I mean, hockey's even like, and and kind of like, I always imagine hockey and up in Canada is similar to probably what we see here in uh, like the United States for baseball, because I mean, kids played what I mean. Um, my uh, my mom's from Lethbridge, and uh, and then Calgary, and then my actually my uh, aunt and uncle lived in uh, Edmonton. Now everybody lives in Vancouver, and my mom always right told on. us. Yeah, my mom always told a story. He said, like, flood in the backyard and, like, uh, you know, that first ice and, like, all the kids skating. And it's, like, it was kind of just such an institution. Like, nobody did anything else. I mean, there really wasn't much No, else to 100%. Do. You're exactly right. Like, right from a young age, it's uh, you're taught to walk and skate at the same time. And um, you, you just kind of develop from there. You always kind of get started within that because, I mean, you, you talked about genetics, uh, geography, and opportunity. And, I mean the summer months through most of Canada um, when you can play football, soccer, baseball, softball, all outdoor sports is really four, maybe five months long. And the other time it's always uh, real cold. And um, the, the hockey is, uh, is, is really what they focus on. Um, and so unless you're a curler, <laughs> but um, uh but the Americans seem to be running away with that too now. Um, is, yeah. Goals. But uh, so is college the backup? So if you go 18, you play two years in junior, you don't get drafted. You, then you go to college for four years. It's actually it's actually the opposite. So what's happening now is there's there's a different way it's set up. So in Canada, they've got what's called the Canadian Hockey League. It's broken up into three leagues. So um, it's the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior League. And that covers all of Canada. Uh, there's about 70 teams that span um, the entire country. And uh, the equivalent down would be the USHL. Um, America is really focused around sending kids to college. So through junior programs in the USHL, they push to go the college route. Um, that's, that's what they're, they're going through there from. So then the USHL, there's about 22 teams. And they get about 150 college commitments every single year. Uh, out of those leagues um, and then and in the college ranks there's 61 teams um, uh, obviously throughout the throughout the U.S. and then in Canada from those three leagues you actually cannot go to Canadian or you cannot go to uh, American colleges your eligibility is considered um, uh, null and void because you're usually paid to play there so what happens is there's uh, the Canadian Junior Hockey League which is uh, your op is your second option. So you can either go and play in the CHL or the Canadian Junior Hockey League. If you go the Canadian Junior route, it's the same as the USHL, which then pushes kids to American colleges. And so your top top end talent, like your first second round NHL draft picks, will most likely ninety percent of the time go through the Canadian or the CHL. Um, which is like your Western Hockey League, your OHL, and your Quebec Major Junior League. What quite often happens is a lot of kids who are slower to develop will go to American colleges because they're allowed to go from the age of 18, 19, 20 and come out at the age of 22, 23. For example, um, it, it's ironic how this happens, but um, when I was at Miami, one of our players that was there um, is just actually signed yesterday here in Anaheim and he was a phenomenal player but just a slower developer um no different than uh Devin McConnell um has uh one of his D-men uh was uh a draft pick um of Anaheim's and he 
came out of Devin's program and is now with me here. Uh, he showed up about two weeks ago um, simply because they are allowed to develop over a longer period of time. And what's actually happened in terms of the players in the NHL, um, about 15 years ago, it was about 15% uh, college kids in the NHL, and now it's upwards of about 50 Man, only that's probably baseball similar. Maybe we'll have to look into those numbers. Well, I mean, most of the time the baseball yeah, kids kind of similar to baseball, and your 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 very very top end, you know, first overall pick, uh, you know, in the baseball draft as a you know as a high school kid, he's going to get fast tracked because he's already a big league base you know player more or less. Hockey's going to be the same way, but but it's your your later round kids or the kids that are undrafted, like Justin talked about, that are that are late bloomers. They can, they can now play junior hockey until they're 20 and then they can come to college and they can come and play and develop with us for four more years. So we've got, we've got seniors in our program that leave at 24, 25 that are, you know, that then go where Justin is in the, the farm league for the national hockey league. They'll then get signed by his team because this is a 25 year old man that can jump right in and play. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed model, but from the, from a development standpoint, the college setting is, is really built optimally for, uh, for, for the late bloom, late bloomers that, um, need just some more time and some more seasoning. Luke peaked in high school. So, <laughs> uh, no doubt. So no maybe, doubt. This, maybe hockey, you weren't meant to play. No, here's the thing. Fun fact. The first organized sport that I decided to sign up for was hockey. So before football, second grade, first or second grade, I wanted to play hockey because I fucking dominated floor hockey. And dominated street <laughs> hockey, which is basically the same from my understanding <laughs> as real. And then they told you you had to skate, and you were absolutely fucked. A hundred fucking percent. I was just like, I don't want to fucking do this stupid skate school for two years. Which, like, in hindsight, it totally makes sense. Don't get me wrong. I'm from fucking the Midwest. I mean, better opportunity than Katy, Texas, to learn how to skate. But I just didn't want to do it. So then I ended up playing football, and uh, yeah, smashed it <laughs> and peaked way too early. <laughs> So, but hockey, it, I feel like it's, it, it, maybe we're, the, the paradigm is shifting a little bit, but it's a sport that's many coaches and old schoolers rely a lot on skill development. It's a very skill specific sport, right? So let's shift gears a little bit to maybe as you guys were developing, what did the strength and conditioning look like in terms of like performance based training? What were you guys exposed to? And then where do you see it going to now as, you know, information is flowing freely through the Instagram so what really happened was uh, you look at all these other sports and because hockey's really the only one that's played on a different surface, basketball, it's, you're still running soccer, running football, you're on a field, you're running. So for so long training became something at the forefront of those other sports a lot earlier than it did in hockey where um, training camp was really where guys would come to get in shape and get their legs back and so forth and so on. But as it's caught up and I would probably say what Devin in the last 10 years. Yeah. 10, 10 years max. Yeah. Um, it's actually taken a whole nother step to where I would argue that it's on a path and a trajectory to be even higher and more important, uh, in the thought process of player development than, those other sports that we talked about previously. And um, that's, that's across the board from the NHL, the American Hockey League, NCAA, major junior, um, and even uh, youth hockey. Um, you see it all the time where 
uh, parents are wanting them to specialize and get uh, nothing but hockey 24-7, around the clock, 365. And uh, starting to now get into the training aspect, so they get them off the ice, they start developing other skill sets because, like you said, and I'm not saying that you're correct, but mm, what like you it. saw quite often was these kids were they could go and they could stick handle um, through 500 pucks that are on the ice and make it look amazing. But you ask them to kick a soccer ball and they'd kick themselves in the face. And yeah, or you'd ask Joey. them to or you'd ask them to throw a ask them to throw a baseball and they throw it over the backstop. But instead, now you look at these the the best athletes in hockey are multi-sport athletes or athletes that have started training um, at a young age and are very well developed and really well put together um, from a bodily structure standpoint. So what would like a late adoption age limit? I know it's not like a hundred percent, but typically do do you have to be an early adopter of playing ice hockey to be successful or could you pick it up? Let's say you want to, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old and still be able to find success. You know, we, we've heard that with, with, uh, NFL. Well, I, right? well, like I, there I are outliers I, and exceptions, but I think hockey's a lot like rugby in that the guys that play, um, you know, it's kind of like picking up rugby late in life. Like the guys that have played it their entire lives have like a certain skill where they can develop it on the field. Uh, and like they just have more vision. I always think hockey's kind of similar. And I think the more opportunity, yeah. Yeah. Like the more opportunity. I mean, um, you know, you look at some of these other sports, I mean, basketball the same way, like, you know, the guys that do it, but I think the problem comes down to whether, whatever the sport is, if you limit somebody's involvement, like, let's say you take like a three-year-old kid, like two-year-old kid, and that's all they do. Then, like, you know, they start developing one skill set where I think if you keep that in with other things, I mean, you know, just because uh, I think sports that involve some form of gliding give you, um, you know, that's another piece of athleticism. Oh, yeah. You know, like uh, sliding, gliding, you know, changes of uh, environments like swimming, but also ground-based stuff, things that are stick and ball, you know. And uh, uh, But at the end of the day, I mean, uh, the thing I always liked about hockey was uh, those guys were inherently tough people because you have to be able to fight at some point somebody's going to fucking get you you know and so like i think that piece is fucking way better than any other development sport out there like you know like look at soccer fucking worst acting oh those guys are hard bro like uh the the one thing i love about hockey is they actually have dudes on the team whose job is to fucking fight people and they like throw down the gloves and like i remember we used to go to the phillies games or the the flyers games all the time and like legitimately like uh like i can't i'm totally forgetting names but like they were dudes and they were like that's his job it was that uh like the six foot four black dude yeah uh begin with a b simmons wayne simmons yeah but there was another one at, oh, uh, Brashear. Brashear. yeah Brashear. Yeah. Brashear. yeah yeah we do we used Animal. to see him out all the time and he was the coolest motherfucker and he wasn't a great skater and he wasn't a great hockey player but that dude could fucking square up anybody yeah, and, uh, sure. like, and that, you know, like I, I, I thought a, a sport that actually has that in it is fucking awesome. I'm like, why don't we have that in football? Yeah. You know? Are there written rules for the refs to like, is there a timer? All right. Let them go for 30 seconds. Or as soon as a guy gets his ass beat down. All right. Then we got to break it up. Yeah. That's basically what it is. It's, it's especially when it's two heavyweights, they, they let him go until somebody's in a position that they're going to get fucked up. And then, then but you're also in, but fighting on skates all the time with the big guys. Like when they, when they square up and go, I mean, those, those tilts can go for a while. Cause it's yeah. just, Hey, we're not, you know, 
the 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 five ten ref ain't jumping in in the yeah. middle of the six four heavyweights. You guys do what you got to do, and when you're too tired to throw anymore, then we'll come in, and that's kind of how it usually ends up working. Yeah, that's good. Have y'all as goalies ever been in a scrap? Yeah, oh yeah, Canadian Canadian junior hockey. It didn't matter what position you played, you're gonna end up in a couple. <laughs> so how is uh, I guess in modern times, is that culture still embraced, or is it? Is it touchy now? Are parents fucking whining? Are dads wanting to beat up other dads because their kid gets beat up and it doesn't deserve to get beat up? Yeah, it's funny. It's the so fighting is um, it's a it's not allowed until uh, junior hockey uh, for the most part, and then it's also not allowed in college hockey. So the cultures are a little bit different. Um, the biggest problem is you mentioned you know dads getting in fights like in youth hockey like that's the biggest problem is that the parents are complete idiots most of the time no, it's uh, true. but it, it, it kind of depends where you are i mean it, it's it's part of the culture in 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 canada it's part of the culture in, in most junior hockey where that's a a component certainly still part of the culture in, in pro hockey but and justin can talk about this you know probably in more depth working at the level he does in college hockey you're not allowed to fight so it's just not a piece of the puzzle um but you get to you get to the american hockey league and the national hockey league and it's, it's not what it was where there's, there's less and less of those players whose only job is to fight, but you still need to be able to answer for yourself. And, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things about the game is the accountability. It's that if you take liberties with somebody, uh, somebody's coming for you. And so that it really, the game is self-policed in a lot of ways because of that. You know, it's a, it's a pretty good model. We should try to adopt that for our society. Like we talk about like the life bouncer. So yeah. Luke has this whole theory he calls a life bouncer. When you see somebody fucking too far out there, you're like, let me snatch you up and fucking throw you out of the bar. Yeah, you have an obligation as a, a contributing member to society <laughs> to bounce people when they're fucking assholes. Is that what happened like to it. us on St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it was. And you know what? The life bouncer did their job and everything's fine. Everyone's fine. No, what happened was we had to go and you got fucking tripped up by the wounded, as a wounded gazelle. <laughs> I turned around and I was like, where's Tex? He's like, go on without me. I'll save everybody. I support your move, Tex. <laughs> Officially. Here's to you. All right. Yeah. Uh, just some backstory. We went out on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> we had to work. We had to work at, so we decided to work at like 6 a.m. And then about 8.30, we decided to go get breakfast on St. Patrick's Day. And uh, yeah. It, so John made air quotes during breakfast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we were home. Guinness, Guinness is a we were home by noon, which was good. Perfect timing. All right. So, Perfect time for a nap. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get into intent a little bit and kind of, I guess, both of your responsibilities with your teams and managing stress, recording stress. So I'd love to kind of give um, your experiences kind of connecting with the sport coach, connecting with the athlete, because we're starting to see these appear more and more, different technologies, different uh, things that you need to account for for training an athlete, especially in season where their performance, their livelihood relies on their performance. Um, so I guess what sparked the book intent and then lots of metrics go into the book. So I'd love to talk about which ones you guys really lean heavily on. Yeah. The, the backstory about how the kind of project happened, how the book happened, basically, uh, you know, Justin and I, um, we both were working in college hockey at the time and, uh, we happened to be speaking at a, at a, at a hockey conference, the NSCA hockey conference in Colorado Springs. And more or less, we're talking Our about... Our anniversary's coming up, by the way. That's right. we got to head back out. Congratulations. Um, yeah, that's right. Thank you. Happy together. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we basically were both uh, kind of talking about the same stuff, and it was more or less how we utilize 
sports science in our in our strength and conditioning programs to improve performance and, and improve you know readiness because at the end of the day we're trying to uh, you know basically find the fine line between player development uh, at the college level and, and turn these guys into pros but also find ways to, to win games and be competitive every week. And so we were both talking about more or less the same stuff. And, and we got to talking afterward over a couple of beers and said, you know, we've both kind of, we've done this for a decade or so individually. We've, we've made a lot of mistakes and, and figure out some things along the way. We should put some of this down on paper because a lot of people seem to have, seem to come to us with the same questions. Uh, and, and I think we could help, we could help a lot of people out in this area um, by helping them not, sort of make the same mistakes as us. So that's, that's where the kind of the idea behind the book came. Uh, and so what we did was we, we kind of got together over the past year and um, chipped away at, at developing and, and writing about sort of the, the holistic system that we both have kind of developed, uh, utilizing sports science and technology to help better prepare our athletes and, and again, um, manage, manage stress and fatigue and, and readiness and, and try to have the best product possible at the end of the day. And so you and you initiate, uh, I guess the the metrics with internal versus external. So in my initial thoughts, I was thinking internal were a couple other different things, but then kind of the your narrative steered me in the right direction. So could you explain the difference between internal and external load metrics, and what you're looking for there for each? For sure. So your internal metrics that we were really starting to look at consisted of pretty much how hard your body has to work, the stress that you're, be, you're putting it under. And the way to look at that is always through heart rate. Um, is it as effective um, when you're talking about the weight room? No. Um, and that's where um, it is an external metric, but bar speed becomes something that you can now equate over to internal loading um, from, uh, from a stress standpoint. Um, but, but the biggest one that we look at in terms of, uh, in the way in, in, uh, on ice work, uh, for sure is, uh, is your heart rate. We garner from that, uh, a training load score, which then is then attributed to how stressful that was for that athlete. We can break it down per shift. We can break it down per minute. We can break it down, um, per reel in a practice setting. And so we're actually able to pinpoint where the stresses of the day are actually coming from for that particular athlete and how they're handling them over time. Are games becoming easier for players or are they coming harder? For, are they, um, uh, is there a certain team that uh, plays a harder style of hockey game that it just takes more out of our team? It takes more out of the, out of the players, which then how do you help them get better for the next, well, do we need more rest? Do we need less rest? Do we need to go split squad? Do we need to change up how things are happening here uh, to make sure that we have the proper rest and development um, in our players so that when they hit the ice, they have the best possible opportunity for success or success and uh, the least uh, amount of uh, probability for injury. So uh, is that a hard pitch to some of the hockey coaches? Traditionally, this in let's say football, NCAA football, NFL football, the sport coach, you know, the tail tends to wag the dog a bit, right? And the sport coach becomes subservient, or I'm sorry, the strength and conditioning coach really is subservient to whatever the fucking sport coach thinks, regardless of their background or level of education. So you're coming at these coaches yeah. with some fucking tricky shit. Are they just 
yeah, it sounds good. Or is there, is there a, do you have to convince these guys? Well, it, it always comes well, back it's to definitely. It always comes, it always comes back to, um, knowing, you know, when you talk about your sport coach, knowing what's important for them and regardless of the sport, right. It's, it's wins and losses that it's wins and losses. And a lot of times it's, uh, you know, it's things like man games lost is the statistic in hockey. You know, the, the, the more players we can have practice and play every game, you know, if our best guys can play, then we're going to have a pretty good chance for success. So learning how to speak coach becomes really important. Being able to, um, relate this information in terms that make sense to them. So not coming at them with the, you know, the, the training load jargon and the, you know, all these, the, the, the geeky stuff that we might talk about with the sports science, but listen, you know, this is, this is what the workload looked like uh, last time we played this team. This is how we could prepare differently uh, because these three players, you know, th these were our best players and they gassed out. We needed them on the power play. They had nothing left in the tank, but if we can do X, Y, and Z, and we can look at that and monitor that or, or, or when and where we need to take a day off, these guys are going to have more gas in the tank and we're going to have a better chance to win games. And when you can relate things back to, you know, with, with the coaches, what's important for them with the players and getting by, and it's the same process. It's about understanding what matters to them and then being able to relate this information in a way that makes sense to them and that, that they find value. in. Yeah. So it comes down to that social intelligence, probably some relationship building, right? No question. Yeah. You know, later it's down about people. It's the, as, as we always say, and we talk about it in the book and, and, we're not dealing with robots. We're dealing with people and, and uh, we're trying to use information to have a better idea of what's going on. But at the end of the day, it is, you're absolutely right. Social intelligence, it's relationship building. It's, it's getting to know what, what makes people tick and tying, tying those things into that. So as you come into these readiness or these evaluations, you're saying like there's some levers you can pull. Is it, I mean, is it just the traditional kind of volume intensity training frequency training duration is it a movement selection thing is it a mixture of everything does it depend on the guy so what happens um devin and i've really been looking at it and there's uh, the brain is ultimately what controls everything and um through a series of four steps um devin and i kind of created what is what is intent and um, basically what it looks at is a resting heart rate. So what is the response of what's actually going on, um, when they're waking up in the morning and coming to the ring? Um, what is the stress load before anything has been placed on the body going on inside? And that's reflected by, by heart rate. So we get a resting heart rate that we'll be able to track from there. We get a questionnaire because, and a lot of people say, well, the questionnaire is not scientific. The, you're right. It's not scientific, but the information that you're getting subjectively from this individual, once you create that buy-in factor and the honesty is there and they understand why they're doing it, all of a sudden, the information you get from that subjective questionnaire in terms of hours of sleep, their mood, their um, uh, hunger levels, their uh, desire to train, those types of questions, all of a sudden, you get so much valuable information because that's actually coming from them. That is the player's perception. And so at the end of the day, no matter what, that's sometimes all that matters. And so, you under, so you're understanding where they're coming to you from on this day. And then from there, we get um, a power metric. So a peak power of something, whether it's a, uh, a watt bike sprint, whether it's a, and this is all very um, anaerobic. So you're looking at, just 
something that's like one, two, three, four seconds long, very, very short, something that's giving you a peak power, a vertical jump, a long jump, a six second sprint on a walk bike, um, a three second sprint uh, on a treadmill, seeing where they're getting to on like a curve, um, whatever you have at your disposal. Um, and then something to measure speed. Uh, and that would be, again, whether you're using a woodway uh, treadmill, whether you're using um, uh, uh, bar speed uh, analyzer, whatever it is that you're wanting to do. And then we have now this holistic system and holistic model that gives us an overall intent readiness score. So we know what we're getting from this athlete coming in. Is he beaten up? Is he tired? Is he fatigued? Do we have uh, central nervous system uh, suppression? Uh, what is going on so that we can make sure that come game day, he's firing on all cylinders, his legs feel light, he feels powerful, um, his mind is clear, and he feels rested and ready to go. How does this change between off-season and in-season? Isn't in-season, you got to go? It's your job? For sure. So everything takes a backseat to games in-season, 100%. Um, The weight room... Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure Devin would attest, we become fatigue managers in season. You're not going to get, um, obviously, the, with the way the, the schedules are set up is a little bit different between college and um, and the pro game or even junior for that matter. That's why when we're talking about developing, uh, college is sometimes a, a great role too because you only play Friday, Saturdays, and you've got bye weeks in there. So there's a lot of time to train. Um, but in the pro game in junior you're playing every second every third night so you're not going to be getting in there and hitting heavy squats you're not going to be getting in there and trying to really develop strength what it becomes is it becomes a fatigue manager and um, making sure that they're maintaining weight maintaining strength maintaining power and then it's all about basically transferring that ability onto the ice so that come game days you're feeling really well and if it becomes hey we're not we're we're not lifting today because last night's game was an absolute dogfight then that's the way it goes um quite often here uh we have split squads because we have guys that play five six seven minutes and we have guys that play 21 22 23 minutes so the guys that are logging huge ice are beaten up, battered, bruised. You need to rely on them game to game. They'll maybe have the day off or they'll come in and do a regen day or um, they won't even show up at the rink. Whereas the other guys will bring in and will put them through some type of conditioning aspect to make sure they're ready to go when they need to play 13, 14 minutes. Or they uh, will get on the ice for an extra session because uh, that's what we need to make sure they're loading is getting to the appropriate position. Or... Um, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of give and take and a lot of communication going back to your coaching staff because their buy-in and understanding of this, not just bring and being okay to understand why this is happening uh, becomes so key. Yeah. I remember just one of the challenges dealing with the sport coach, they wanted everybody to live together, freshmen, everybody. Even though the you know seniors played every single minute of the entire game and the freshmen didn't do shit, they still had to do the same program. So I kind of got away with the old rep max model, the old field strong template that we used. Everybody's working up to three RM. It's just hell. I just played a whole game. 
that's still as much as I can lift versus a freshman hell that's your game. Yeah, but I think these guys have to manage it different just because yeah, the volume of games is so much higher. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I mean, a sport like football is not even, I mean, 16 games in the NFL. I mean, these guys, I mean, like I said, every two to three days they're playing in the game. I'm always interested on the minutes, though, because uh, don't, I mean, at least when we went to the NHL games, guys would play in waves. So I remember just seeing how fast the guys were like on and off the ice. It was like, geez, I mean, I don't even know what it was, but it was, you know, under a minute or two, they were like, you know, just going on and off the ice. So, I mean, just the level of like max intensity in terms of reps, I'm sure you guys have calculated all the volume. So is that how you guys kind of look at it? You kind of model your training similar to what's going to happen on the ice that these guys are going in and, you know, uh, you know, max intensity duration, and then look at how many opportunities you guys get on and off almost like reps to the scheme. Yeah, for sure. I, I think one of the important you know, things that we, we always look at is, is, is workload. And it comes back to that sort of internal training load metrics and understanding, you know, what the impact of, of that is on our, you know, on our seniors, on our freshmen, on our high minute guys, our low minute guys, and getting better understanding of, of what's actually going into competition, you know, because again, at the end of the day, game day is, that's all that, that's all that matters. I'd say well, everything we're doing is working towards peak readiness and peak performance on game day. So we have to have an idea of what game day is. And then we kind of work backwards. But, you know, one of the ways that intent really helps us um, handle those differences in, in, in play, you know, player minutes and things like that is, you know, based on the day, it, it, the system tells us, the system will give you an idea um, based on a, an individual's readiness on what, what range they need to, to work at with bar speed, for instance. Um, so once they've done all their readiness scores, uh, the system will tell us, okay, uh, this guy is uh, his his nervous system is is on high. He's ready to go. He's well recovered. He's he's not fatigued. Um, today's a today's a green light. Today's a go day. Let's work it at, at you know at whatever the the strength quality we're trying to work at. Maybe we're working at you know one point two meters per second. We're really pushing speed. Um, where another guy might come in and he played a lot of minutes this weekend and he's banged up and his readiness scores are really low. And we're also going to work at. Uh, higher uh, higher bar speeds, but much lower intensities. And it's more or less going to be a deload day or a regen day on his part. So it's really about the, the data really helps us understand who needs what and where. When can we hit the gas pedal? When do we need to pull back? And again, talking coach, talking player, that, that really builds buy-in. Um, the players love that, you know, they understand that the, everybody's in a different situation. Uh, everybody's at a, you know, for us, everybody's at a different place um, developmentally. Our seniors, can, you know, it can, can split squat 500 pounds. Our freshmen are still learning how to train. So there's going to be different requirements on them on a day-to-day basis. And they understand that. But now we have, instead of just subjectively guessing at, at who needs to do what, we have some objective metrics that, that provide some feedback about uh, not only who needs what, but what they're capable of doing on any given day. And now, if nothing else, it sparks a, it sparks a great conversation and, and a an educational moment where we can really start to talk about, you know, what's important, what matters for development, that we're not just doing work for work's sake, but we're trying to improve this specific thing because that is the specific thing that's limiting you um, or vice versa. So that, that's really the, the beauty of the system that we've, we put in place. Hey, oh, sorry. Um, can you go through how you arrange your training? I mean, uh, for the majority of strength conditioning, I mean, it comes out of ground-based sports like, you know, football, like we were talking about earlier. So like, have, um, do you guys follow us kind of a similar model or is it the idea that in hockey, you're constantly always on one leg and, you know, like you said, like you kind of take the Mike Boyle approach where you, you know, start prefacing more unilateral movements. So you talk a little bit about how you kind of arrange the training and really what you really look for is like your, uh, you know, matrix or like really just your hallmark for your, in, in your training programs. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think Justin and I are probably uh, more similar than different, but uh, we can talk about some of the differences. I mean, for me, really training starts at profiling. So we talk in the book about jump profiling and, and starting to develop a, a picture of what the athlete is capable of, where their strengths and weaknesses are. Hockey is a very speed, power-based sport. It's the fastest team sport that there is. You, you guys are skating at 30 miles an hour and, and you know they're 200 pounds and they're running into each other. Um, so speed development and, and power output is, is hugely important. So we start by profiling all of our athletes via a, a number of, of um, vertical jump variations to get an idea. Are they elastic athletes? Are they very concentric dominant, et cetera? And then that's going to drive a lot of how we're going to focus training within the group. So we are going to train together as a team, but we're going to have this bucket of guys that needs to do some more, you know, short contact plyometric uh, Olympic lift type stuff. And this group over here is more loaded jumps and longer contact stuff. Personally, uh, I utilize a lot of unilateral variations um, from a lower body strength development standpoint, but we're still doing bilateral work as well. We Olympic lift and uh, we'll do, you know, bilateral loaded jumps and things like that. So it's all preference. At the same time, it's somewhat dependent on the guys. We've got some guys that, that front squat because that's a better tool for them. We've got a lot of guys that split squat because that seems to be a better developmental tool for those guys. So it really comes down to trying to within the team setting and prioritize what the necessary qualities are that those guys need. Yeah, and the, I did enjoy the part to, in the book where, yes, you were speaking from your experience with hockey, but then you also connected it to a lot of different sports. And what you said right there is identifying the qualities that they need, which I uh, greatly appreciate because, you know, mm -hmm. people try to take just one program and apply Fit. it to a team or sport and um, – then you, you gave a lot of examples to kind of guide coaches that were reading the book. What about, um, you know, you, we, I'm going to rewind just a little bit before John, when you do take into consideration training life cycle, you know, uh, training age of an athlete, like you were saying, you're working with a team, got some guys who are learning how to train versus dudes who are, uh, they're trained dudes and you, you have a lot more leverage and you can be a lot more creative with the training stimulus, I guess. What are some of the things you do for the guys who are learning to train? Like, is do, do you have a developmental? So you have a, a prof, you profile a guy and he's just a fucking donkey in the gym. Good hockey player, but just a donkey in the gym. How do you develop that guy into a weight room champion? I don't think you ever develop him into a weight room champion, but what you can do is through training him the right way um, and doing things that, uh, through building a relationship with him, I think you start to create a buy-in that it's, it's, it's a push and a shove. You're never going to, if you're trying to throw your um, methodologies or your ideologies on somebody, there's always going to be met with resistance. It's always just going to be pounding against a brick wall. But again, creating that relationship with somebody and um, finding what their motivating factor is. For a lot of these guys, it's um, their next contract. It's money. It's um, being able to stay healthy and do things with their kids. It's um, being able to hit certain performance goals on the ice. So, which all require you to be healthy enough to play. And so, I I really don't know if I've come across in the past two or three years anybody that is like oh at the pro level or the college level. Um, oh, I'm not doing that. Or, oh, I mean, no, this isn't happening. 
or I just don't want to train because honestly, those guys have now phased out. Like mm-hmm. they've just, they, they, they just are, no, they're solely not good enough to, to, to hang around. Yeah. And, so it's not a capability um, thing. There's no more Allen Iversons. <laughs> it, honestly, it's rare. It, it is so rare, especially in the sport of hockey, because, um, just the type of people that they are to begin with in terms of their competitiveness, they're wanting to be the best. They're, I'm not saying that they're not like that in other sports, but this this training um, mentality and ideology has just now it, it's just been adopted, and that's just what you do in the sport of hockey, especially in the off season. Now, even more so um, in season. All right, guys. Let me expand scope a little bit. You guys got to have hockey coaches who are you know who are getting plugged into to a lot of the the tactics you've you've put out in the book, who are dealing with youth youth athletes who are not, just don't have the training age. They don't have the reps, they don't have time in the weight room, but they want to value it, right? I mean, we talk about, you know, you get a kid who's 14-year-old football player, he's not going to follow the program John followed at the Philadelphia Eagles, right? He's going to follow, he's got to get it become a strong 14-year-old football player first. Uh, do, is there a concession for that within, within what y'all do within your program? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me and in, in our example, obviously, like you talked about earlier, seniors versus freshmen, you know, we got an 18-year-old freshman that has a limited training age uh, or, or, you know, doesn't, doesn't know how to train the way that we train. Um, and you've got your, your 22, 23, maybe 24-year-old, you know, senior who's been in the program for four years. He's a man. I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally, he's a man. Two totally different animals. Um, the way that I approach that is, is really progressions and regressions. So we're going to have our exercise menu. We're going to have our, our, our toolbox, right. And, and we're going to utilize, um, this, a similar, a similar pattern across the board, but we're going to, we're going to progress and regress that we may have, again, that, that senior may be doing, uh, you know, rear foot elevated split squats with a safety bar at, at 450 pounds. And our freshman that's uh, brand new to this movement pattern might be might be goblet squatting you know a, a 20 kilogram kettlebell for the same pattern to learn stability to learn how to create tension and tightness and, and just that movement pattern and learn I always talk about learning the skill of training our entire first year I, I with our athletes I couldn't care less where our where our guys get to from a, a strength standpoint from a, a, a load lifted standpoint I want them to be technicians at the end of the day i want them you know we hang clean we hang snatch a lot i want them to look awesome doing that because if they look good if they've if they can understand the skill and 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 the technique behind what we're doing now we can now we can get some development going now we can get stronger now we can get faster but if if we're trying to load them early and we're just always trying to bang away at at just if we're jumping the, the shark and trying to get strong right off the bat with these guys and they move like shit they're gonna move like shit for four years they're gonna break down they're going to be limited in in their potential from a strength and power development standpoint. So I'm always thinking about progression and regression and trying to water things down to the most basic element mm-hmm. and start guys there. And if they progress quickly, then great. Let's get let's get moving. But uh, always trying to find uh, you know find the right tool for the job. I guess is what it comes down to within our system, uh, so that they're they're able to to work at a level that's appropriate to them, but that we can also progress them uh, you know adequately. So if we got some, let's say, hockey parents listening or youth hockey coaches. Stephen Playtech. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, and, you know, they're dealing with, let's say, developmental. It feels like the message to them is like, hey, don't, like, there's this allure to just specialize in this sport because it's such a, like, technical and skill-based sport. 
But at the same time, like, hey, do some fucking gymnastics. Get in the weight room. Do some sprint training, some dry land type, type training too, right? I mean, is that is that a fair act? Like, what would the message be to these guys who want to know? Without a doubt, spread it out. Um, one, you're not going to burn your kid out. Um, and two, he's going to develop or she's going to develop a large scope of skill sets. Um, I know that it was mentioned ball and stick sports. Uh, lacrosse is a is a huge one that's got a lot of crossover um, but gets you learning different uh, different skills um, baseball soccer basketball let, let them experience the the wide spectrum while throwing some training in there doing some things that are uh, some type of martial art um, some type of uh, like you said gymnastics um, getting them out into doing some yoga um, some type of uh, uh movement based work um i know that the big thing now is kind of like this parkour type of stuff that i mean whatever it is the more that you're able to get a a spectrum of of movement and um being a devin touched on it being a, a technician within movement being a awesome mover and just being athletic once you're athletic you can then build on top of that but athleticism trumps everything. Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate pretty girl in the room. Is there any uh, any, any strange observations you guys have ever made about, um, you know, like uh, you see like, uh, you know, hockey athletes coming from one part of the country or the like common threads? I mean, I know uh, as a football player, there were certain common threads that I would, uh, whenever people would talk about, hey, like, you know, this is how I grew up or these are things that happened. There was always kind of a similar value story, like, uh, you know, um, you know, guys that were, you know, like I could think of like Tony Gonzalez playing tight end or, you know, uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the quarterbacks all seem to be golfers at a young age, like Tom Brady and all the guys I played with always were all pretty good golfers. And you go out and you, you know, I hate golf, but I've gone out and played and every one of them was a scratch golfer. And I just noticed, I was like, why is it that all these quarterback guys are great? I just wonder in hockey, if there's kind of some common things that you guys have seen where if you see somebody come through, you're like, Oh geez, I kind of see that kind of often. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's, um, geographically actually we're the the sport now especially in the u.s is has just absolutely expanded every we have a player on our on our team at lowell here who's from texas who's from the dallas area I mean, he's a fantastic player I and mean, we've had guys from georgia we've had canadians guys from sweden and finland russia all over the place so it's it's less geographical now but i would say the the one common theme across the board and it is changing because the reality is ice hockey is a, it's an expensive sport but it's um it's still there's a a sort of a blue collar culture to the sport. Most players come from relatively humble sort of backgrounds, which goes to what Justin talked about earlier, that the the character and the culture of the people in the game tends to be really high because it's, it, it's kids, it's people who have, who have grown up having to work for work for uh, uh, you know, for their living, work for what they want, work to, to achieve. Um, and that lends itself to, athletes it's great for for us as strength coaches that lends itself to having a lot of athletes who are they're perfectly happy working they want to work they like getting getting in the weight room and getting nasty because that's just who they are and so i think um that's one common theme that that i've seen that i think is is great about the game itself um that i really value is 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 that sort of blue collar mentality and and kind of background that a lot of people in the sport tend to come from just you know hard working families and cultures and they know how to party. John and I uh, <laughs> met up with a hockey team in Oktoberfest 
I think it was 2014. Yeah, we uh, we we went to Oktoberfest and we walked in this massive tent and like Texas like in Munich. Yeah, he's like, we don't have tickets, we don't have anything, and he's like, what are we gonna do? And I'm like, just chill out, dude. So we walk in there and he's like, what are you looking for? I'm looking for our guys. And I'm like scanning all of a sudden out of the middle of like, you know, like off in the distance, I hear this bottle, like a a glass shatter. And I see these dudes start like tussling and like this big just explosion. I'm like, those are our dudes. And we really went up to them. And uh, pretty soon that was exactly who we figured out. And they were a bunch of actually American guys that were playing hockey in somewhere in Europe. And uh, not Germany, but they had one weekend off to come. So they all came to Oktoberfest. (laughs) Uh, they were, they they were a bunch of Canadians. Uh, they were actually really shitty drinkers because, uh, or I wasn't sure if they were bad drinkers or they had just been drinking, uh, they could be drinking two days straight. They they probably could. Hey, don't judge a guy in his October (laughs) performance. And you never know. (laughs) I just remember their young dude. You remember they just kept open hand slapping him in the face. Yeah. And there was another, (laughs) the guy, he, I remember he was standing on the table and he was just took a whole beer to the face and that's where we found our guys. But then. I have a photo with John and him and I, and he's just passed out. We're just pointing at him, and it's <laughs> yeah. like a big heart photo. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was. Yeah, so yeah, they were uh, uh, fucking total assholes. And what's amazing, in a bunch of drunk Germans, they were like the bad dudes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in an endearing way, though. Yeah, Let's well, clarify. they were our an guys. Asshole. Endearing assholes. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, we, we like, got along great. Yeah. Uh, they had this. Uh, uh, like, I didn't even know they had this whole like uh, European like farm league deal, and like uh, it was pretty interesting. Like, some of the guys were young guys trying to get a shot, and then there was all these older dudes that were just looking to extend the professional hockey deal because they hadn't got an opportunity to play NHL or play it at a high level, uh, you know, on this side. So they were like 28, 29 years old. And I'm like, how old are you guys? This guy's like, oh, I'm 29. And I'm like, you're still playing like uh, semi-pro European hockey. He's like, I just can't let it go. So it was really interesting. It's either like these young, like 18, 19, 20-year-old kids or these dudes that were in their late 20s, early 30s that just couldn't hang it up. And I was like, oh, well, shit, man, keep living the dream, brother. So we had a good time, though. Well, boys, if any if any coaches, any hockey, any Enthusiast. hockey parents, I guess, strength coaches, what, where are they going? Where are they going to go to find more or contact you guys if they want to find out more about the work you guys are doing? Where should we point these guys? For sure, absolutely. So um, our book's available on Amazon um, and uh, Barnes & Noble, um, any other major retailers, uh, you can order it. Um, uh, through through them as well, but Amazon's probably your best bet. And then uh, to get in contact with Devin and I, um, and even le- learn more about the software company that's involved with Intent, uh, it's intent-us.com, and uh, you can get a hold of Devin or I through there, or um, uh, be able to find out more information about the book, about the software, everything else is uh, it, it's all on there. Cool, nice man. Well, thanks, and, boys. And oh, we got, yeah. um, I guess, given our our boy Scott. Caulfield a bump NSCA hockey strength and conditioning clinic at NSCA in Colorado Springs June 8th and 9th will you all be there we will be there yeah we're gonna be is talking that, that's the anniversary that's the anniversary uh, uh, that is the anniversary yes what Devin and I are doing a, a both a hands-on talk and a, a lecture so it'll be a, a, a big a big boom for the anniversary and then maybe like a candlelit dinner, something nice, some weird, like nice warm bath. Mellow, you know, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what? It's a little Epsom salt. It's only, 
It's only weird if you make it weird. I, I fucking know. <laughs> I thought it was only. I always thought it was, it was only weird if you make eye contact. If you don't make eye contact, oh, that's when it gets weird. <laughs> yeah. All right, boys. Thanks a lot, and ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to this episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning on this lovely sunny day in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Approximately 65 degrees, uh, I would say. Kelly. She, you know, she's <laughs> going to cut that shit off. Dude. No, it's on. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank Take you. Care. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Bye. it. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard Justin and Devin. You can find their book on Amazon or at large bookstores like Barnes & Noble. And to hear more about their approach to optimizing performance, head to www.intent-us.com. Until next time, bye!